Well, one year ago, there was a 14-year-old boy. Any 14-year-old boys in the room today? Maybe. 14-year-old boy named Karthik Namani. And he had one dream. Karthik Namani, McKinney, Texas. One year ago, had one dream. And that was to head to Washington, D.C. to compete at the 2018 Scripps National Spelling Bee, also just known as the Bee. Well, uh, he was just one of 11,000 spellers from around the nation looking for Spelling Bee glory, as it's called. And uh, his journey didn't start off well. He didn't win the uh, he didn't win his uh, county spelling bee. He didn't win his regional spelling bee. But he was good enough to get noticed. And through a brand new wildcard program, through the, the bee, Karthik was invited to join 515 of the nation's greatest spellers at the 91st annual Scripps National Spelling Bee. And uh, Karthik did brilliantly. He spelled words that you and I have never heard of, <laughs> nor would we even know how to pronounce if we had heard of them. He, just did, he did an awesome job. And he survived round after round after grueling round, and he found himself in the final two contestants of the spelling bee. Well, sitting next to him in the championship round was a 12-year-old girl that he knew all too well, named Nasa Modi. And uh, this girl was tough. She was poised. She was confident. And it, it was actually Nasa Modi who had beat out Karthik in the county spelling bee back in Texas. <laughs> and here they were going head to head with one another in the championship round live on ESPN on national TV in the greatest spelling bee on the planet. <laughs> Nasa Modi went first. Her first word was Bewutsteinslager. <laughs> I practiced that word all week. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> and so, Nasa spelled Bewutstein's Lager. And she spelled it incorrectly. She messed up a single S and a double S. You know, common mistake. Common mistake. I hate it when I do that when I'm spelling Bewutstein's Lager. Well, this is the moment Karthik had been waiting for. It was his chance at spelling be glory. He just had to spell the next word correctly, and he would be declared the champion speller. So let's go to that. That was his first time ever being at the B, and that was her, I think, fourth or fifth time. But I love it because as soon as he hears the word koinonia, like he's, he's like, can you repeat the word? And you can see like the smile growing on his face. But how cool is it? Today we're talking about koinonia. But how cool is it that the, 
winning word for the 2018 Scripps National Spelling Bee is a word that every Christian should know. It's the Greek word koinonia. Let's all say it together. Koinonia. Koinonia. Yep. Koinonia. Great job. Baboot signs laga. Somebody get a definition. I'm pretty sure it's German. Maybe Rob, is that German? Sounds German. <laughs> he does. Can you spell it? Can you use it in a sentence? So today we are talking about koinonia, and um, it is a Greek word, and it shows up 20 times in the Greek New Testament. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It was translated into English, and it's been translated into thousands of languages all around the world. Um, but the Greek word koinonia is a word that really every Christian should know. The word itself shows up 20 times in the Greek New Testament, and the very first occurrence of koinonia is actually in Acts chapter 2, which is what we've been studying as a church. And if you're just joining us today, we're in a series on Acts 2. It's called Acts 2 Church. And I've loved this series so far. So we've been studying um, Acts 2, 42 through 47. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. But it's here in this passage that the, the very, we see for the very first time this Greek word koinonia, which means um, Christian community or Christian fellowship. And we'll talk more about that. But what I love about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, is that we get a vision of the very first community of believers. Jesus has risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has come. The gospel is going out. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ. And when they gather together, this is what they did. And it's here that we get a vision for the church and a vision for the local church. Church was never meant to be a building. It was never meant to be an institution. Church was a kingdom movement that was spreading throughout the world. And we get to see today what it means to be a part of that kingdom movement and to be a community of believers. And uh, I just, I thank Chick for last week and just the awesome job he did. And I loved how he took us to the banners and he said, you know what? This is what we're about at Hope. And then he took us back to scripture and he said, actually, this is the kind of church we want to be because this is the kind of church that we see in scripture. And he said, we are and we always will be a church that stands on the Bible as God's word. And so what is God's vision for community? What is God's vision for the church? Because that's what we want to be. We don't want to invent something new. We want to be a part of what God's doing in the world. So let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is a picture of the very first believers as they gathered together. Acts 2, 42 through 47. These are the new believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia. And we're going to look at that in a minute. They devoted themselves to koinonia and to the breaking of bread, which Steve's going to talk about next week. I can't wait. And to prayer. So excited. Okay. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and many had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And it's right there in Acts 2.42. We see this word koinonia. It's the winning word of the, you know, Scripps National Spelling Bee. It's a word every one of us here today should know. It's a very important word. So today I'm asking three questions. Number one, what is koinonia? What does that word mean? Number two, why do we need it? Why, does it? why is it important for us? And then three, how do we get it? Just very simple. What is it? Why is it important? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're at work in our lives, that you're writing a story, and that each one of us, individually and collectively, us as Hope Community Church, we get to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And so I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for each person today who made it a priority to come and to experience some koinonia fellowship with other believers and to get connected to Christ and what he's doing in this world. And so I just pray as we learn about this powerful word, koinonia, Lord, that we would be even as devoted to this as those earliest believers. May God speak to us today. Do a work in our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, three questions. What is koinonia? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What is koinonia? Like I said, koinonia is a Greek word, and it's the Greek word that is most often translated as fellowship. But if you look it up in the Greek dictionary, you'll see that this word koinonia includes other concepts, or it, it, it's embodied in other English words like these, like community or communion. If we can just pull those up, Sandy. Um, other definitions of koinonia include community, communion, joint participation, sharing, intimacy. So koinonia is a very relational word. Do you see that just through the definitions? This is very relational. It's about community, connection, um, doing life together. And actually, I did some more research just on this Greek word, and I found out that um, in Greek philosophy and in Greek culture, culture Koinonia is, that the is the word that philosophers would grab onto when they wanted to talk about not just community in general, but the ideal community. When they wanted to talk about the ideal fellowship or the ideal group. So when the Bible talks about koinonia, it's really talking about something very, very special. But it's when we dive into scriptures that we really understand what it means to have koinonia as a Christian. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship. There's that word koinonia. God is faithful. He's called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God is calling every one of us into koinonia, into relationship with himself. And that's where this whole thing starts. And, and this is big. If you've never experienced a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible is inviting you today into a deeper koinonia with God, a deeper community and fellowship with God. Because God is faithful. And Jesus came and he loved you 
all the way to a cross. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead and he's inviting you through faith into a relationship with himself. So when we talk about koinonia today, we're talking about something that is rooted in Christ and in our relationship with him. It's not just the bond you see between you know, best friends or between siblings or between your, your honey or your boo. What we're talking about here today is something that's very unique to those who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's that old thing that, that Angie and I heard even as we were going through premarital counseling a uh, long time ago, actually, where, where they say, you know, marriage is like a triangle. You put Jesus at the top. And as you and your spouse pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus, it actually brings you closer together. Have you heard that illustration? Because that koinonia, that love for Jesus Christ, actually brings people together. And that's even amplified in 1 John 1, 3. It's, there's a, a relationship that we have with each other, a fellowship we have with each other, because of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that what, what's true in marriage is also true in community. As we individually run after Jesus Christ, it's actually bringing us closer together as a community. That's what we see in 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, that you also may have fellowship with us. That's koinonia. So what are they proclaiming? What we've seen and heard. This is, this is John. He's saying, we saw Jesus. I think, Chick, you shared this last week. Um, he's saying, we saw Jesus. We touched his hands. We heard his voice. We saw him alive from the dead. So we're proclaiming this to you so that you can have fellowship with us. So our fellowship is with Jesus. And as you have fellowship with Jesus, you have fellowship with us. So our fellowship, our koinonia with one another flows from our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Acts 2, which is where we're anchored today. It says these very earliest Christians devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to being in relationship with other believers. And you go, where did that come from? It wasn't just potlucks in the church basement. It wasn't just, which is called the fellowship hall, right? It's not just being in the fellowship hall. It's not just eating wings, watching a game. It's not just the monthly quilt club. These are the bonds of people whose lives have been knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit and by a common faith in Jesus Christ. And that's koinonia fellowship. It's the bonds we have as believers in Jesus because he's writing a story both individually and collectively in our lives. And what's so amazing is that I don't know if you've ever met someone and found out they're a Christian. And when you love Jesus and you meet someone who loves Jesus too, and, and isn't there an instant bond? Have you ever experienced that? You meet someone, you're like, wow, you're a Christian too? And it's like, start talking and you're sharing stories. It's like, wow, you too? And there's that instant connection, that instant bond. And some of us had this experience in South Africa and Mozambique last November, and we had a driver named Vili. Willie, but they say Billy. And he's this tall, stout guy. And, you know, just like, first I'm like, don't know this guy. He's our driver. It's cool. We started to share stories, started to get to know him. Turns out, Billy, back in the day, had been a South African WWE 
E wrestling villain. And his name was Bulldog. And he came out to who let the dogs out. <laughs> and when I found that out, suddenly I felt a whole lot safer. Because <laughs> I got Bulldog in my van. Turns out, Bulldog gave his life to Jesus Christ. And now he's serving Jesus. And he's driving all over Africa into very dangerous places. He's building churches. He's going to businesses. And he's, he's consulting businesses. And he's talking about what it means to have a kingdom business. And as he's sharing his story, all of a sudden it's like instant connection. You love Jesus, I love Jesus, and it bonds us, it brings us together. It's the fellowship we have with other believers. It's so powerful. And every one of us needs that. We need people in our life where we share that faith connection, that love for Jesus Christ. It's so important. So what is koinonia? It's fellowship. It is the relational and spiritual connection that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's God's gift to us. And every one of us needs that in our life. We need other believers in Jesus in our life. But why? Why do we need it? Why is koinonia so important? And I think we need to talk about this today because at least in our culture, Christian fellowship isn't always a priority, is it? As we look around just culturally, you know, this, this church blows all the averages. And I'm so thankful because last week, I was like, man, I was so excited because we called a, an all-church huddle. And as Steve says, we no longer have meetings at this church. They're all huddles. <laughs> but it was so cool, and it's so encouraging for me as your pastor to say, you know what, we need to get together, have a quick meeting after church, and to see so many people show up. That's the devotion that I see in this church. But culturally, as we look around at culture and Christian culture, wouldn't we say that for a lot of people today, that Christian fellowship just isn't a priority. And yet when we look at the Acts 2 church, what we see is that Christian fellowship wasn't just, a prior, wasn't just an option. It wasn't just a nice option. It really was a priority for those believers. In fact, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What's really interesting about this verse is, and, and Chick talked about this, the apostles' teaching... They're, they're, they're teaching people about Jesus. They're sharing the good news about Jesus. And eventually that becomes a part of our scriptures. But what we see is those earliest believers, that they were devoted to one another as much as they were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to Jesus, and, that's a really important and, to fellowship. They had devoted themselves to each other as much as they had devoted themselves to Christ. And what did that look like for those earliest believers? Well, this, Acts 2.42, it goes on and it begins to talk about their gatherings together. And it goes on to say in Acts 2.46, it says that daily they met in the temple courts and in one another's homes. And it's this beautiful picture of koinonia fellowship in the early Acts 2 church that we begin to see that they're, they're daily meeting together in the temple courts and in one another's homes. They want to be with each other. And so what we see here is just more than like showing up at church now and then. It's, it's a real love of being together. And if you read Acts 2 and you read the story and you understand the, con the context, what we see in Acts 2 is that 
that people are, are, beginning to, are beginning to realize that, that Jesus is alive. And he's risen from the dead. And this reality is sinking in. Here's a guy that we nailed to a cross. And he's not in the grave. And people are saying, I saw him. I've, I've seen him. And over 500 people, Scripture says, saw him in those 40 days. And so people, this reality that Jesus is alive and he's Lord and he's sending his Holy Spirit, all that's starting to happen. And what you read in Acts 2 is that thousands and thousands of people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. But where do thousands and thousands of people meet? I mean, you need a big space, right? And the biggest building is in town at that time was the temple. And they had all grown up going to temple. So there's all these people coming to Jesus and they're like, Let's just meet at the temple. And they meet in the temple courts. And in Acts 4, they're going to get kicked out. But they're looking for this big space to meet together. It's this large gathering, this large group worship. And then, everything else that happens after that, everything else that happened in the church, happened in groups meeting in homes. Do you guys see that in this passage? There's this large gathering, there's, there's large group worship, and then everything else that happens in this church happens in groups, meeting in homes. It's very cool. I like that. And it's this rhythm that we see in the early church. They're meeting together in the temple courts, large group worship, and house to house, small group fellowship. And that's a big part of our vision here at Hope. We want to be a church that gathers together here on Sunday mornings. We worship, we hear God's word, and then we want to go and we want to break off. We want to get into people's homes. We want to open up our homes to one another. And then in our homes, we want to be the church. We want to learn together, devoted to the apostles' teaching. We want to koinonia, build spiritual and relational connection with each other. We want to break some bread together. We're, right? We're a church that loves to eat together. We want to pray for each other. That's the beauty of the Acts 2 church. It's a church that's meeting together in the temple courts and house to house. As I hear the stories of this church and how this church was founded, it, I hear this common thing where, where people are saying, you know what? We started this church. didn't matter. We had this going on. We had, you know, my house was too small or we had all these kids. And they just said, you know what? We just want to be together. Yeah, that's how this church started. It was an Acts 2 church with people just saying, hey, we just want to get together. We want to pray. We want to love God. We want to serve. And that's a part of what it means to be an Acts 2 church. But culturally, culturally, where we're at today is it's very interesting. Because I think culturally, a lot of people, this Christian fellowship, it's like a, it's a nice option. Oh yeah, church is on Sunday mornings. That's a great option. Or small group, great option. But a lot of times it's hard to make that a priority. And just culturally, where we're at here in our, our, our culture is that if you look at the older generation, and I don't know if you know this, but in the older generation, one out of every two people went to church every week. That's the older generation. One out of every two people went to church every Sunday. Next generation, that dropped to one in three. And now what we're seeing in the younger generation is that's dropped even down to one in four. And it's no secret that people today are attending church less and less frequently. It's, is this an option? Is it a priority? Let's talk about, that's the temple courts. Let's talk about in one another's homes, small groups. 
there's a, a great book called jo uh, Joseph Meyer's Search to Belong that predicts only about 33% of people in a church want to be a part of a small group. And as I've been in different, churches context, different church contexts, that's actually a pretty, pretty accurate average. About 33% of people in a church will want to be in a small group. Now, how are we doing here at Hope? I would say overall, we rock those averages, right? You guys rock. And this is a church that loves to do fellowship together. But I bring up these trends because we don't want, we want to be different. We want to be an Acts 2 church. We want to be a church that loves to meet together, to have that, that koinonia fellowship. And I just think if, if this was vital to the church's growth then, temple courts and being in one another's homes was vital to the church's growth then, it is vital to our growth now, today, even in the 21st century. But why? Why do we need this? Why is this important? How come this can't just be an option? Why do I need to make this a priority for my life? And I would just say this. I think Americans are some of the loneliest people on the planet. And I've traveled to other cultures. I've traveled to other countries. I've been to Asia. I've been to Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa now. Guys, we are some of the loneliest people on the planet. And we are some of the busiest people on the planet, but we're some of the loneliness. And, and we avoid people, right? I mean, I avoid people. And we avoid people at all costs. And cost us, it does. And research is, is looking into the effects of loneliness on our soul. And you know what affects your soul? Affects you physically. It affects your health. And what research is saying is that loneliness, this is crazy. Did you know being lonely is worse than not exercising? Being isolated and disconnected. This is what research has shown. Being isolated and disconnected is worse than not exercising. It's worse than not eating right. Being lonely, being disconnected from other people is the health equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Isn't that crazy? That's what research is showing. So if you want to be healthy in 2019, you're better off eating McDonald's with friends than eating a salad alone. <laughs> I bless you. <laughs> in fact, Robert Putnam, he's a very famous sociologist, he's a researcher, he's an author of a book called Bowling Alone. Why Bowling Alone? Because you remember back in the day people used to have leagues and they'd bowl together, more and more people are bowling alone. It's the, lonely, the loneliness culture here. What he found, he wrote a whole book about it, he found if you make no other change this year, New Year's resolution time, if you make no other change this year, you don't start working out, check. You don't start eating better, check. But if you join a group, here at Hope we say join a small group. If you don't make any other change this year, but you join a group when you were not in a group before, you cut your odds of dying this year in half. Just join a group. You cut your odds of dying this year in half. One church read that and they made their motto, join a small group or die. Join a small group or die. 
Why do we need koinonia? Why do we need community? Not just any community. Why do we need fellowship of other believers? Guys, we weren't meant to go through life alone. A lot of us here, we go through life alone. And it's, it's affecting not only our spiritual health, it's affecting our mental and emotional health. You were not meant to go through life alone. God made you for a relationship. First of all, he made you for a relationship with himself. And he's invited you into community with himself. You guys know God's not alone? Even God is a community, a trinity, and he invites you into the dance of being in a relationship with him. And he invites us into a relationship with one another. And I would say in 2019, our life depends on it. Our joy depends on it. Our spiritual transformation depends on it. You were not meant to go through life alone. You were meant to go through life with a family. That's what koinonia is about. It's about being a part of a family of believers. A caring place where God transforms lives. There's no greater vision than that. Where we can be strengthened by others. Where we actually encourage genuineness here. Not superficiality. And we get to the heart. That's what God made us for. And we need that in 2019. If you make no other change in 2019, but you say, you know what? I want to be a part of community. That is going to make a big difference difference in your life this year. So how do we get it? How do we get community? Say you're in the right place. Community is literally our middle name. Hope community. That was a bad joke. Thanks for, see, I married the right person. (laughs) She laughs at my jokes. I think community is going to take three things. As we think about continuing the vision that that we've had here of being a church that loves to gather together. I think today I I, I want to encourage us and say koinonia is going to take three things. Number one, it's going to take commitment upon our part. I'm a part of a small group, and um, our small groups meet every other week. We have small group week, ministry week. And um, I missed some small groups last semester, and what I realized is if I miss one week of small group on an every other week rotation, I don't get to see my group for an entire month. I just think missing a week, it's not a big deal, right? Like, no big deal, missed a week, but miss a week, miss two weeks, in and out. That's just not koinonia. And what scripture says is it, it says in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this to the church. He says, be devoted to one another. For us to experience koinonia, our relationships with each other need to be a priority. And when we prioritize our relationships, when we have consistency in each other's lives, that's what creates those bonds. You know how love is spelled? Don't ask the the B's, they'll say L-O-V-E. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. If we care for one another, we're going to be there for one another. But without commitment and without consistency of being in each other's lives, we won't experience koinonia. It takes commitment. A lot of us here are doing that, and and I'm proud of you. So here's the next step. 
How do we get it? Commitment. Number two, vulnerability. This is the next step. If you're a part of a Bible study, if you're part of a small group, if you're here meeting together, number one is man, we want to show up. We want to be present with each other. But step two is vulnerability. Vulnerability isn't easy. We're talking about being open with each other about our lives and about our story. It's not easy. I resist vulnerability. It's hard for me to be vulnerable. Um, as, as the pastor here, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. Um, it's a, a way that I've challenged myself. But I want you to think about this. When we resist vulnerability with each other, we're actually denying other people the opportunity to know us and love us. That's how important vulnerability is. Community and deep relationships and strengthening one another, that depends. Genuineness, all this depends on us being willing to open up and share a little bit of our story, to be vulnerable with one another. I love 1 John 1, verse 7, which says, If we walk in the light, we'll be open and vulnerable to one another, as Jesus is in the light. And that's what frees us. Haven't we already admitted? When we said yes to Jesus, didn't we all admit that we are sinners? that we're broken, that we're messed up. So we've already said, we've already jumped into the light as Jesus is in the light. So no surprise, if I tell you I'm struggling with something, I've already admitted that simply by the fact I've said I'm a Christian. But if I'll, if I'll walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, then I'll, we'll have fellowship with one another. And I'll, I'll have fellowship with you and you'll have fellowship with me. And that's that word koinonia, fellowship. Vulnerability. Community is built on Vulnerability. I remember my, our group back in Colorado, we had a small group, and it was really hard for everyone to open up to each other, and we'd ask questions, and you get those crickets, and, or a superficial conversation, and all that was a part of our growth process, but, but I remember the week that changed it all. There was, a, there was a woman in our group who was a nurse, and she told us something she had never told anybody else. She told us about a situation that happened years ago when she was a nurse. And she had to let a patient die that she felt shouldn't have died. She had to let someone die. Correct her, her life. She carried this, the pain of this, years and years. And finally opened up in small group. I said, guys, tonight small group just got real. And we never went back to superficiality, right? Week after week, we began to open up to one another. It just took one person to have the courage to be vulnerable. It changed the whole dynamic of our group. And we began to support and encourage one another through good times and through really, really hard times. That's the power of vulnerability. How do we get it? Number one, vulnerability, or commitment. Number one, commit and consistency. Two, vulnerability. Last one, vision. And I know we're having, we're talking a lot about vision. We're, we're having these huddles and Thank you for being a part of that. But vision is so important to community. You know, a lot of communities just like, hey, let's, let's go out. Let's watch the game. Let's, let's go shopping together. Let's have some fun. But can you imagine, and this is what we're talking about, can you imagine being a part of a community where we got together and we said, how can we make a difference? Who can we bless? Who can we support? Um, how can we serve our church? Uh, how do we share together the love of Jesus Christ? That's the kind of vision we want in community here at Hope. And we need that vision in our community. I love Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 
says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And here at Hope, we've said, let's spur one another on to love and good deeds in three areas. Up, we want to spur each other on. Up, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to spur each other on in to love and care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then out, we want to spur one another on to love and bless the neighbors and the people God has put in our life. And that's kingdom vision. And every community should have vision, a vision for what it means to be the people of God. And then it goes on to say, let's not give up what? What does it say? Let's not give up what? Yeah, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, the day of Jesus approaching. So as I wrap this up, and worship team, you guys can come up, or Andrew, just want to say as we close, guys, we need each other. You were not meant to do life alone. We've been given fellowship with one another as we have fellowship in Jesus Christ. It's the bonds of people who've been connected through their faith in Christ. And how do we get that? How do we experience Koinonia in 2019? It's commitment, it's vulnerability, it's vision. Community is not easy, community is messy, and community is hard work, but there's nothing greater than being a part of a community that's like this, a kind of community we have here at Hope. So how do you spell community? How do you spell care? How do you spell life transformation? I think Karthik Numani, a 14-year-old boy, spelled it correctly. K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, Koinonia. Let's pray. God, thanks for, thanks for making it possible for us to not go through life alone. But thanks for giving us the gift of community. Thanks for giving us the gift of one another. It's not always easy to be in fellowship with one another. Sometimes we've got to say, I'm sorry. Sometimes we've got to say, I need to be vulnerable right now. Sometimes we need to say, I need to make a commitment. But God, I just pray 2019 would be a year where we give our lives not only to Jesus Christ and to be all in with him, but I pray that we would give our lives for one another. That we would lift each other up as we walk through the highs and the lows. Thank you for people. Thank you for a church that's willing to put a shoulder and arm around us and walk arm in arm, hand in hand. Thank you for koinonia, Jesus. What a blessing it is. And I just pray in this year that we could experience that more and more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.